Let's humble our hearts before Almighty Yahweh. Almighty Father, we're so honored to come before you on your holy Sabbath day to understand who you are a little bit better as we delve into your word, to understand what you expect of us as we delve into your word. We pray that this message would reach the heart, that we also would benefit by going to the scriptures that you have given us. We pray that you also guide each of us in our walk, that we might become better disciples of yours, that we might take this truth to the world. For we know the world needs it. The world is going the opposite direction. And we need to help those who have sincere desire, who have willingness to listen, who have ears to hear. So help us to do that as we prepare now to hear more of your word. In Yahshua's name we pray. Hallelujah. You may be seated. Their uh, ranks are legion, untold masses of Bible believers. Read and study the word, maybe for decades, but they never apply it. It never becomes a part of their life in a real way. They may have read dozens of times through the Bible. They might have heard multiple Hundreds of messages about the Bible, conferences, dozens of Bible translations sit on their shelves, and yet the Bible has made little difference in the way they live. They rope off their spiritual life from their secular life. Bottom line, they don't take Yahweh seriously. They continue to live like the world, act like the world, and think they're okay doing so. Millions, years of Bible reading and studying and training. It's just a wash. Why? Why hasn't their involvement with the Bible made a difference as it's supposed to? 2 Timothy 2.15, Yahweh says he's approved of those who study his word. Why don't they study and find out what they need to be doing Why do so many never reach the nexus where learning merges with doing? Why don't they ever realize that what they're learning is for a purpose to become a part of their life? To change the heart and alter the walk. To experience a permanent spiritual impact. One worshiper said that the most she could say about one of the best sermons her minister, ever gay. She said, got all done hearing it, and, well, that was interesting. And she still felt this hole, this need to be refreshed spiritually, to grow, and not more emptiness. In commenting on Israel in the Old Testament, Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 10, 11, now these things happened for Examples for us. They're written for our admonition, for our growth, for our lessons. And that's why we go back and we read these things, like in our Bible studies, in our own study. We read the Old Testament to find out what the admonition is for us. It's not just a bunch of words put out there and we forgot about them and say that's 
Old Testament. If he says so, I think it has some weight. He tells us that even the experiences of ancient Israel are there to change the way we live and worship. All that Israel did right and all that they did wrong were teaching moments for them and us. And us. So we're expected to learn by their mistakes and by what they did right. When they disobeyed or when they ignored Yahweh, they suffered. When they lived by the word, they prospered. It's the way it works. It's the way it works. Blessings and curses. Yahweh works the same way today. The same for a nation. We're seeing a nation in freefall. Read Leviticus 26 and see what's in store for this nation that is busily rejecting Yahweh on all fronts, taking his word away. Doing away with it. Ignoring it. It's a prophecy that is already coming to pass on every front. 23, verse 25. And if you will not be reformed by me, if you'll not be reformed by me, by these things, but will walk contrary unto me, then will I also walk contrary unto you. And will punish you seven times for your sins, and I will bring a sword upon you that shall avenge the quarrel of my covenant. And when you are gathered together within your cities, I will send the pestilence among you, and you shall be delivered into the hand of the enemy. These are the things, you know, prophecy is dual. These are the things that are coming. Verse 31, and I will make your cities waste and bring your sanctuaries into desolation. And I will not smell the savor of your sweet odors. And I will bring the land into desolation. And your enemies, which dwell therein, will be astonished at it. Kind of like what happened to Jerusalem when Titus came through and plowed it under like a farmer's field. And when his father, the emperor, came by, he was just blown away. He couldn't believe there was once a city here. Now it's just flat dirt, nothing left. America is the best ally Israel has in the world. And we defend her, we support her, and where is she when the final days come? When those ten nations of Psalm 83 are gathered to march against Jerusalem and to destroy most of it. Where are we? What happened to us? Something happened to us that we're not in the picture. Why don't we not come to the defense of Israel? Because we're destroying ourselves. What it amounts to, we've lost Yahweh. Morally, we're bankrupt for the most part. There's a few still holding true to the word. But it becomes fewer and fewer, and the truth becomes more narrow as we go. 1 Corinthians 10.11. Now, all these things, as I said, happened unto them for examples, and they're written for our admonition. Upon whom the ends of the world are come. Who could that be? That's us. That's us. The ends of the world are us. James 4 is a message to obey the word, not just listen to it. And therein lies a truth that's hard for most to take it's a simple concept 
but too difficult for most people to do, to apply it, to change their life by the truth. There are powerful forces working against living the word, not the least being opposition from our own natures. We have to overcome our own sinful natures. Our natural carnality resists it. Family at times resists it. The world resists it. Doing right takes a conscious effort. Doing wrong comes doing what comes naturally, as the song used to say. Take two toddlers at play. Now, there's a study in human nature. Two toddlers out there in a sandbox, and one of them's busy accumulating all the playthings. He keeps grabbing more and more. You've got a whole pile in front. Well, his, his friend over there has one left, one toy, so he grabs it too. Friend starts to bawl, you know, the upset. Doesn't bother him. He's got all the marbles, literally. That's man. In his natural state, he wants everything for himself in his natural state. He doesn't know how to share. He doesn't know how to give. He doesn't know. He has to be taught. Many adults never grow beyond that self-centered behavior. They remain calloused and lacking in soft tissue. Even in families where you often see the worst of selfish greed, you find the truism where there's a will There's a lawsuit. You know, bottom line, whatever we choose to do in our life, our everlasting life will be impacted by it forever, forever. What we do now is going to be written in heaven forever. Ask yourself, am I living up to Romans 12.1? I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of Elohim, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto Elohim, which is your reasonable service. First of all, what's sacrifice? Sacrifice is giving of yourself. Turning it over to someone else. To take part of you and part of your whatever it is and give to somebody else. That's a sacrifice. Didn't have to do it, but you're doing it because you want to do it because Yahweh says to do it. Then it says your reasonable service. What does that mean? Reasonable service. I often wondered about that. It means not a knee-jerk uh, action. You know, they might do deliberate, deliberately, uh, automatically. But what comes from a thinking mind? Reason. The word reason is in there. I'm thinking it out. Yeah, I should. I should do that. I should help. I should do that. So you help somebody. That's your reasonable. You, you reasoned in your mind. It wasn't something that, you know, well, I have to do it, so I do it. You reasoned that you want to do it. A, a dramatic example of abhorring your sinful state is what Peter faced in Luke 5. You remember the scene? Peter, James, John had fished all night. Nothing. They were skunked. So, uh, give it up. They go to the shore. They start pulling in their nets, cleaning their nets. Yasha comes along and says, hey, guys, <laughs> go out there and throw that net in again. And Peter, no doubt, says, yeah, right. Uh, what's the use in that? We've already done that. All night long we've done that. But he would do as Yasha told him. They threw in their nets in the water. And they were blown away. They started to 
bring their nets back in. They couldn't hardly pull them in. So many fish, so many fish that just, they were dumbfounded. Here comes another boat. We'll help you. So transfer some of the fish to that boat. They both had so many fish, they almost sank. And the nets were about to break. Peter is the central figure here. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Yasha's knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O master. Now there is an impact. As if to say, I don't deserve to breathe the same breath you breathe. I don't deserve to share the same space you do. Just please go away. I'm not worthy. And this is where repentance begins. This is where you realize, I'm nothing. I need Yahweh. I need his son. I need his sacrifice. He was totally blown away. And it cut him to the quick. This is one of those miraculous learning moments that we see the power of Yahweh and the power of Yahshua. Just as important, a totally humbling response to it. Yahshua's miracle was yet another incident of helping others too. You know, that's what he did. That was kind of like his life of helping others in so many different ways. Didn't care about himself. He was busy doing for others in all sorts of ways. Healing them, helping them, feeding them, counseling them, teaching them. That's what he did. And isn't he our example? Give some time to help others. Share resources with a brother or sister in need. Become a giver and stop being a little totter in the sandbox. If we can't do that, we're not really there yet. We don't really reflect Yahshua. We have yet to arrive. Paul said sacrificing for others is a mandate. When we go out of our way to help others, it does something. It does something for them, obviously, but it does something to us too. It changes us. It changes us. It's a two-way street of reciprocal benefits. You know, Colossians 1.9 says, For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. This is one of the messages of Scripture, Paul says. Okay, what for? Why? Why, Paul? That you might walk worthy of the master unto all pleasing and being fruitful in every good work. That's the point of it. That's the gist. That's the rub. And increasing in the knowledge of Elohim. There's a point to knowledge. There's a reason for understanding the word. There's a reason. We have Bible studies every week. And you have your own studies at home when you read the word. There's a reason for it. Not just to increase the knowledge that you get but you apply it. That's the ultimate application. There's a point to knowledge. There's a reason, a bigger purpose. This may be a little bit negative, but I think I can speak for other elders and speakers who come up here. When I say that we usually expect too much from people, we usually expect too much. From hours of study, sacrifice, and preparing messages, And then we just see it. (laughs) 
Now, some will, some will hear, and that's great. That's what we're trying to do. But we expect that everybody's going to, you know, adhere. But it won't happen. Till Yahshua comes, then everybody will because, you know, he's going to say, you, you do it or else. Certain measures of obedience, like giving of time or even giving of tithe. I can exhort till I'm blue in the face and in the most effective way I know, explain what the Bible says about the tithe, that it's a first fruit and the first fruits belong to Yahweh. And by the way, we're going to have a study, maybe a booklet, maybe a video on the first fruits. It's key. It's key to a lot of things in Scripture. First fruits run throughout the whole Bible. It's effective in our calendar, the first fruits given to Yahweh. And the offering, the wave sheaf, things like that. The tithe is a first fruit. The same for the Sabbath and feast. Or anything that requires our participation. Doing something that Yahweh commands us to do. And there will always be those who will try to excuse their noncompliance and their indifference. They'll use blanket arguments like, oh, that's Old Testament, that's Jewish. Yahshua did it for us, so we don't need to do it. And they completely ignore what we just read, that their example is for us. You know, they, they completely ignore his New Testament commands and what he did and taught, but especially what he did. You know, what you do speaks more loudly than what you say in anything. What you do is you, because that comes from the heart. It proceeds from the heart. When Yasha said something and then did it, that was, that was double confirmation. Double confirmation. I can stand here and deliver the most convincing ironclad message of how necessary it is, even critical, to appear before Yahweh at his feast days. We can sit and tell the people in counseling before, say they're at a feast to get baptized. You've got to keep the feast every time, every year, all the time now for the rest of your life. And then you wonder where the compliance is. What happened? It sinks into some. Some get it. Some don't. I don't know what they're thinking. I can explain the command against neglecting to meet together on the Sabbath and feast, and where are they? I don't get it. I can do all I can to show how necessary it is to gather on ordained days of Yahweh, even detailing how to do it, why we do it, to be faithful the rest of your life. And for some, no change at all. So we can't blame hard-hearted Israel for their rebellion if we can't even be better. We at YRM aren't here to tickle ears but to change lives. We teach the no-nonsense message that you're not going to hear out there today, mostly. We see nothing happening in regard to individual change and nothing but spiritual tag stagnation in some. But we don't give up. We just double down. We have to. We're ordained to this purpose. We're here for that purpose. Yahweh expects it. We could just as easily throw in the towel, do something else with our lives besides preach and teach and lose sleep. <laughs> but when the word is in the heart, you never give up. You can't give up. You can't. It was said that the sacred name pioneer elder Clarence Dodd died early, like in his 40s, because he worked himself to death. That's, that's what we heard from his daughter. He worked himself to death. He did everything. 
He was a one-man band ministry. He did it the hard way. Back in those days, the 40s, 50s, it was hard. You did everything the hard way. Instead of sending out a video over the Internet and reaching thousands, he used a shoe leather, and he knocked on doors, and he handed out tracts that he printed himself, that he printed himself. We can do more and preach more, posting one article than he could do in his entire life. We have more impact. And yet, what's interesting is the return, the return. You would think percentage-wise, the return should be unmanageable. We can't handle all the requests. We can't handle all the calls. It's a different world now. It's a different age. People have less and less interest in the Bible because they're influenced by the world. They're influenced by these people who have no fear of Yahweh. And they're trying to change what you believe. We can do more, and we can reach more, but the return is not the same. Well, but we keep trying. We can't give up. People want ear-tickling sermons. It makes them feel feel good, justified in their sitting in their lazy boys. Make them feel, oh, I don't have to do anything. Gone are the golden years, the 1950s, the 1960s, the 1970s that I grew up in. There was more respect for the Bible, ten times more than there is today. I've just read in the, uh, the newspaper that for the first time, you know, the Bible has always been the world's bestseller. Now they're having trouble getting it out. The Gideons are being shut out of motels and so forth. Bibles are being piled up in warehouses because people just don't care. They don't need them. They don't want them. That's where we're going. And you wonder why America is not in prophecy. We're supposed to be honored by Yahweh, those who love Israel, who apparently are Jerusalem. Apparently, it's not going to happen sometime in the future. It won't be there. And Yahweh says, you don't go for me, I won't go for you. When the Bible was more than a hobby, where church was more than a social club, much of that generation is now gone. They're gone. Fewer and fewer want the pure word anymore. The meat of the word, which was prophesied, the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. Don't preach the commandments. Don't tell me what I have to do. I want sweet nothings. I want pastry. I want cotton candy. Don't make me feel guilty for my sinful ways. Candy coat it. Hide it from view. Put the sugar thick on it. That's what I want. I want to feel good justified in me right now and what I do. Brethren became, well, because more care uh, was once put on Bible study, it snowballed and it cascaded into more and more interest. But where that shut off, it also shut off the interest But we won't ever stop serving the meat of the word, even when other assemblies drop the ball and won't preach hard messages. Someone has to stand up to do it. Somebody has to. We have a mandate. Yahshua said in Luke 19.40, I tell you that if these should hold their peace, 
the stones would immediately cry out. I don't hear them out there yet, but I think if we quit, you're going to get messages from the stones, the rocks out there. 2 Corinthians 5.10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Messiah, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he has done, whether it be good or bad. So whatever we do, we're going to be rewarded for it, good or bad. We're going to reap the benefits or the consequences of what we do, whether good or bad. Time to please your coming judge. Do what he did. Teach what he taught. Take his example and use it for you. Make it yours. Joshua told Israel in 2415, okay, I'm going to be gone. And you're going to have to basically be on your own when you go into this Take over the, you know, Cain and the promised land. Do whatever you want to do, but as for me and my family, we're going to serve Yahweh. We're going to serve Yahweh, for it's all the marbles. He didn't say that, I did, but it's what it is. I mean, a carpenter one time was retiring. He'd been in carpentry for 30 years. And he thought he had just built his last house. The uh, boss of the company came to him and said, hey, I know you're retiring. Would you do me one favor? Would you build one last house for me? Just one last house for old time's sake. Because, just because I'm asking you to. Yeah, yeah, he wasn't too excited about it. He wanted to retire, wanted to hang up his tool belt. But he said, well, all right. So he went to building this house, and he, because his heart wasn't really in it, he used inferior material, he cut corners, he kind of rushed through it, things weren't measured out quite right. It wasn't the best house, in fact, it was kind of shoddy. But he did get it done, so he goes to the boss's house and said, okay, here it is. Boss says, you get her done? Yeah, I got her done. Hands him the keys. This is your house. You built it for you. You know, it kind of reminds me of uh, Lazarus and the rich man. Rich man laying there. Can't go anywhere. He sees what he's been shut out of, the kingdom. And he wishes things had been different. Oh, how he wishes he had been living a different life like uh, old Lazarus. Sees Lazarus in, you know, blessings of eternity. He's shut out. That, That story has impacted my thinking so often. What am I doing? Is this going to be a legacy or do I need to get with it and get working harder and learning more and, and helping more doing more, sacrificing more after hearing his son preach a sermon, a minister said you know it was good but you didn't make application and I remember those words because I heard him say it you didn't make application like the gal says, you know, it was interesting, but it didn't, didn't affect me. It didn't do anything for me. You didn't show me how to apply it to my life. 
He had failed to show his, that his message had to be applied to change behavior. Show them ways. Use examples. He didn't do that. Can the listeners hang their hat on it? Does it make a personal impact and inspired a closer walk? That's where the rubber meets the road. When Yahweh commanded feast compliance, he never provided a list of contingencies. He never said there's some extenuating circumstances that will uh, excuse you, that would preclude attendance. He never even gave a statue of limitations. I remember a gal said, elderly lady, she's close to her 90s, she says, um, is there any time where we get so old we don't have to go to the feast? <laughs> I think she was suffering quite a bit. You know, Yahweh doesn't, he just says do it. He just says do it. You make it happen. You figure out how to do it. But you do it the best you can and as hard as you can because you want to please him. He gives us a standard and then watches to see how we adhere to that standard. Are we going to be faithful? That's the Bible in a nutshell. There's a standard. There's his covenant. Are you going to get in it? Or are you going to live your life outside of it? It's your choice. Joshua said, as for me and my family, we're going to follow him. Revelation 2.9, I know your works and tribulation and poverty, but you are rich. I know the blasphemy of faith that say they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. Fear none of these things which you shall suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison that you may be tried, and you shall have tribulation ten days. But be faithful unto death, and I'll give you, I will give you a crown of life. He that has an ear, ear to hear, listen up. What the Spirit says unto the assemblies, he that overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. That's another passage I think that we can use in our lives and refer to all the time. The life of a believer is about merging two compartments so that what we do and what we say are the same thing. So that no one can tell the difference between how you believe and how you live. When your spiritual life rules your everyday life, you'll have obtained the mind of Messiah in everything. Yeah, that's a tough goal, but that's what we strive for every day. Not that we have it made, not that we're, you know, above anybody else. We're just walking a different, a different path. You know, parallel path, they're going this way, but we're going this way, but we're going to end up differently if we remain true. Deuteronomy 30, verse 6, talks about circumcising your heart. Circumcising your heart. I want to read that because I think it's important. It has a message. Yeah, it's Old Testament, but guess what? It has a very important message for us. Deuteronomy 30, verse 6. And Yahweh your Elohim will circumcise your heart and the heart of your seed to love Yahweh your Elohim with all your heart, with all your soul, that you may live. That you may live. That's what it's all about. 
We want to live. You know, our total goal and the focus of this message today is 1 Corinthians 2, verse 16. For who has known the mind of Yahweh that he may instruct him? But we, hopefully, have the mind of Messiah. Romans 8, verse 5. Those who are dominated by sinful nature think about sinful things. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. If your sinful nature controls your mind, there is death. If your sinful nature is all about you, you are terminal. But if the Holy Spirit controls your mind, there is life and peace. For sinful nature is always hostile to Elohim. It never did obey Yahweh's laws, and it never will. This, by the way, is from the New Living Translation. A note in reference to Yahweh's laws. Romans 12.2, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How do you renew it? By getting into the word, by prayer, by fasting, by seeking Yahweh's will. That's how you renew it. Then you will be able to test and approve what Yahweh's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. That's from the NIV. As the world pretends to focus on Yahshua and his birth this time of year, we must focus on the mind of Messiah. The mind of Messiah. Many have the naivete that you just trust in Yahweh and it'll all fall into place, but we don't even know what meaning, the meaning of trust is. Say the magic words and your life will reach total harmony. That's as shallow and birdbath faith they have. You will instantly be a regenerated person, say the sinner's prayer, and live any way you want. If that's the way it works, why didn't Yasha say that? Why didn't Yasha say that? I don't see anywhere where Yasha said that's the way it works. Forget the hundreds of passages that tell us to strive against sin, to overcome daily, to labor to be accepted of Yahweh. It's all over the Bible, all over. Forget that. It's all easy. It's nothing to it. Milk toast. Be doers of the law, not just hearers. Be doers of the word, not just hearers. To live by every word that proceeds out of Yahweh's mouth. You know, this walk we're on is not easy. Nobody pretends that it is. It's hard. It's tough. Because we're going against the flow of the world. We're going against our own natures. We have to change that nature. We have to comply. We have to humble ourselves before Yahweh. As Peter did. Go, go away. I'm not worthy to be in your presence. That's how impacting it was to Peter to finally realize who Yahshua was in that experience. To think it'll all just fall into place because we speak it is a heresy. One of the biggest lies taught today. It takes effort daily. Not that we're earning anything. What we're earning is to become worthy. That's all. We're not earning salvation. We're earning a chance to be worthy in Yahweh's sight. And hopefully, he'll accept our effort. A fellow in the face, years ago, once told me about his 
what I would call a Ponzi scheme, a type of scheme to make money through, he called it passive selling. That always bothered me, passive selling. Get the gears in motion, let other people make money for you. You sit back and watch it come in. Well, that's, of course, ridiculous because it never happened. Some people have their faith that way, kind of a Ponzi scheme faith. Sit back and it'll all come rolling in. Paul wrote in 2 Thessalonians 3.10, For even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither shall he eat. If you're not going to work, you don't deserve to eat. We're not here to get by on someone else's dime, to get by on someone else's labor. We're here to work. That's part of a, a, a character that Yahshua taught. We want the mind, the attitude, and the nature of Yahshua as our example. We reach the Father through the Son. That's why he is our spokesman, our Debar. John 14, 6. Well, may each of us attain the goal that we're all striving for. And remember that it, although it's tough and it's hard, but the end result is mind-blowing. We won't believe it. We'll look back on this life and say, man, all the trials we went through are nothing. Look at what we've got now. We've got Yahweh. We have Yahshua to live with the rest of eternity. Let's hope that's our goal too. Hallelujah.